Church podcast. In this second message from the Great Mystery series titled, We Heard About You, Pastor Ben Pitney is teaching from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Here at Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So we're going to talk about uh, this great mystery today and um, how it's connected to uh, the body of Christ and the church. And um, one of the things I want you to remember is that we are in the, in the midst of all of this, that everything that we do is connected. So um, be reminded that we're launching and we've been, we've been launching this service in Benson, okay? A worship service in Benson. We do it once a month and uh, we feel... Um, highly responsible for, um, for making this happen in Benson for all kinds of reasons that I won't uh, continue to get into today, but everybody's important. And uh, I wanted to make sure that our middle schoolers know that we believe that you are the church of the now, that, um, that you should know that this is, a, this is a significant thing for us as well, right? And that uh, it's not just, oh, this is what the adults do. You're as much a part of this as anybody. You are the church of the now, not the church of the future. I mean, I hope you're the church of the future as well, but we want to pay attention to you now. So everything that you do is really important and really vital now. And so you might as well know that this will be successful because of people like yourself as well. I don't want, uh, I don't ever want us to forget those kind of things that our children and our teenagers, uh, you know, as much as we want to do things that are sort of separated for them and that are focused just on them and, and focus on the world that they live in, um, we are all the body of Christ, the household of faith. And so, um, you know, I, listen, you, if, if, if you don't, if you're not understanding that the church is for our teenagers as well, you're really missing the boat. You know, I kind of, once in a while, I run into people that are re- have this expectation of, uh, high expectations of how we do things. And I get it. I want things done really well. I do not want to go to a restaurant that does it bad. How many of you do, right? We want people to wash their hands, right? We want people to uh, we want our waitress and our waiter to pay attention. It's about service. It's about all those things. And when I go to a restaurant, I have high expectations. And so we bring those kind of expectations to church, right? But church is not a place we go to. Church is the body of Christ. Church is us. And so the methodology and the way we do things, oh, it's a big deal. It certainly is. We don't want to be irrelevant. But let's not forget the that that those 40 or 50 middle schoolers if 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 you focus too much on um how we're doing things we're gonna miss we're gonna miss training and equipping we're gonna we're gonna miss all of that and those guys are gonna just walk away we're gonna you're gonna pass on um wrong thinking just like that wrong thinking gets passed on just like that about church Church isn't a place you just go to. Church is us. Church is the body of Christ, and they are uh, as much of the body of Christ, you know, as, as anybody. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were kind of barking about 
uh, being too loud or something like that. And I said, for crying out loud, we're trying to create a church. We're trying to be a church that your children and your grandchildren want to come to. Uh, they're walking away in droves in our nation. We can't have that. And so our methodology is kind of driven, I think, more and more towards them, expecting um, those of us that are getting a little bit older um, to sit up and pay attention to what's most important about being the church. Anyway, kind of preaching on that a lot. Uh, a lo- I mean, I'm not trying to scold anybody. I'm trying to inspire you and motivate you that uh, we have to be the church um, and everything that's most important about the church and the culture that we live in. Our culture is changing so rapidly. Our culture is struggling. Our culture is is um, really confused. Our culture really needs church to to do it correctly, to do it, um, to, do, to, to be church in the way that Jesus wants us to be. So take your Bible out and open up to the book of Colossians because this is a letter written to a specific church, a group of people who are being the church, people in the city of Colossae, right? So we refer to this book as... Um, a letter to the Colossians. And um, it's, there's no doubt that um, Paul writes this letter. And he refers to something called this great mystery. And this great mystery that he keeps talking about that God asked him to, um, to reveal, that God asked him to teach about, that God gave him a mission with, this great mystery he reveals is Christ, he says, in you. That's the great mystery. It's been hidden for a long time. It's been hidden. It's been a mystery for a long time. But he says, now it's our job, it's my job to reveal the great mystery. And the great mystery is that Christ is in you, lives in you, dwells in you, is alive in you. Now think about that for a few minutes. That's the essence of the church. Christ in us, revealed in us. It's, uh, it's actually unbelievable. So Colossians chapter one, last week we kind of gave an overview and sort of set this up, this study. But um, today we look at the first eight verses and there's so many really good things in the first eight verses. By the way, if you slip down just really quick to verse 27, slip down to verse 27 in chapter one. And this is where you're gonna hear and, 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 and see Paul talking about this great mystery. He said, God wanted me to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. I mean, wow. If, if you read just a couple of verses above that, you know, he's talking about this, this mystery. And um, that's why we just, I, I, I really love talking about this great mystery. He talks about this mystery actually all throughout his letters. So remember, it's to a specific church, this letter. And his main goal, Paul's main goal in talking uh, in this letter is for every believer in Jesus, he wants them to become mature in Christ. He wants them to really get it. He wants them to fully understand it. 
He wants them to be able to explain and know exactly what's sitting on those tables, the Lord's Supper. He wants, to do, he wants them to know that we're created to worship <clears throat> and to be in community. He wants them to know that we are to be givers. He wants them to know that everything that we have belongs to him, all of it. So we are trusted to be stewards of what he's installed in us and given us. We belong to him. And now we have a mission and we have a mandate. We are commanded to do some things. And we got to get out of our heads that church is a place that we go to. If church is a place that you go to, then you can just kind of trade it in and do. It just becomes an attachment that you utilize for your personal needs. Church is not that. Churches, actually, if I say it like this, all right, it, it, I, I don't want to confuse anybody, but church is not about you, actually. It's not about you. As much as we think anyway, church, everything that we have is for others. It's an others-minded discipline that celebrates life in Christ. And when we celebrate life in Christ, and fulfill our mission and our mandate and our purpose, oh, it's so satisfying and so good. Doesn't mean it's easy. It means, uh, I, I think it's hard and I think it's a lot of work. And so, Paul has a main goal. Every believer in Jesus, he wants every believer in Jesus to become fully mature Christ followers, established. He wants Christ to be formed in our hearts. In, right in here. Spiritual formation is what Paul teaches in his letter to the Colossian church. And if we're careful and we pay attention and apply Paul's teaching, it will shape our character further into Christ-likeness. So today we go back to the beginning of the book. Our text is the first eight verses starting with Paul's greeting. So he says... Starting in verse 1, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, we'll talk about that, to the saints, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So Paul's greetings are kind of the same and kind of not the same. They're always a little bit different. They're always a little bit different, but words matter, and he chooses his words wisely just in his greetings. Verse 3, we always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Verse 5, your faith and your love have arisen from the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you have heard about in the message of truth, the gospel, the gospel that has come to you. Just as in the entire world, this gospel is bearing fruit or producing fruit and growing. So it has also been bearing fruit and growing among you from the first day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our fellow, our dear fellow slave, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf 
who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So, I love this opening chapter. There's several things that I love about it, but one of the big things is, in typical fashion, Paul mentions the author and their recipients and expresses a greeting in his introduction, and it's such a cool greeting. All of Paul's letters are just introduced just a slightly different, but this one, he's kind of creative. He's writing from prison. Just think of how he's talking, and he's in prison, but he's not alone in prison. Timothy, his brother in the faith, is with him, as well as several others who are mentioned in chapter 4, Right from the start, Paul claims his authority as an apostle. He belongs to Jesus, and he's been commissioned by God. He's been commissioned by Jesus. Even though Paul did not visit Colossae, he hasn't been there necessarily, nor is, uh, um, or these people specifically, nor is he rejected as he was in Corinth and Galatia. You know, he's rejected all over the place, but he hasn't necessarily been rejected from this place. He mentions the fact that he's an apostle, so the Colossians will listen closely to what he's got to say. Pay attention. I feel like Paul does this fairly often um, in a way, kind of like you might grab a hold of your child by the face a little bit and hold their face and say, hey, Look me in the eye. You know how sometimes your child can't pay attention, so you sort of grab a hold of them like that and say, listen, I want you to look me in the eye and pay attention. Do that with my, uh, I did that with my children, my son in particular. I'd grab a hold of his hand, firm handshake, and I'd say, look me in the eye. We're gonna talk like men for just a minute. He, that, that's all Paul is doing right here. Listen to me, church. Some things I want you to pay attention to. You need to know. Listen to me. This authority has been given to me by God, through Jesus. So what I have to say is a big deal. It's important. Pay attention. So what he says in this letter has apostolic authority, and the Colossians need to receive his word. So Paul is their apostle, despite the fact he's never been, he's never been there necessarily in person. The brothers and sisters in Colossae are God's people. They are saints. And that's what we are. We're, we're the saints. We are God's people. It's a term used to describe God's people. It's a term used to describe um, Israel in the Old Testament and followers of Jesus in the New Testament. Saints. They're faithful. The people who have put their trust in Jesus are faithful. These believers are both in Colossae and in Christ Jesus. It's like we are in veil and in Christ. Paul's desire is for the Colossians to appreciate and to understand fully God's grace in Jesus and to experience the peace that they now have. Sometimes we have peace. Sometimes we have forgiveness. But Paul wants us to experience those things. So there's two things I want to talk about from these verses. One is authentic community. 
and the authentic community, specifically in Colossae, and Paul's gratitude for what he hears about them. So let's talk about authentic community first. This is my first point. This church was birthed through the efforts of a guy named Epaphras, all right? The name of Epaphras is short for um, Epaphroditus, but this man is not to be confused with the Epaphroditus you encounter in Philippians. So Paul mentions that guy as well. They're not the same person. So Paul describes Epaphras as a dear fellow slave, a faithful minister of Christ, of Jesus, and he has a very high regard for this guy. He is his disciple. Okay, so he's doing um, things the way Paul would do them, and he's doing things that Paul asked him to do. So Epaphras was Paul's representative to the Lycus Valley. So while Paul was at Ephesus preaching Jesus, preaching the gospel, the good news, he sent Epaphras to the Lycus Valley to preach the gospel there. This gospel is described as the message of truth. You can see that right there. The message of truth of the gospel in verse 5. So the Colossians heard this truth. It's repeated twice in these verses, and they came to know the grace of God in truth, verse 6. And the fact that they learned the truth means that they became disciples, followers of Jesus, and that Epaphras had given them systematic instruction. You know what? We kind of rail against systematic instruction a little bit. Kind of like we... it takes time sometimes in a systematic fashion. We want to jump to the end pretty quick. We want something easy and quick. We want three-point things. We want solutions just like that. I think that's why we struggle with math. Some people get it. Some people struggle with it. Most who are really impatient struggle with math because it builds. You have to start, and it begins to build on each other, right? Right? And um, I think that's why we struggle with it. That we want our faith in Jesus to be just quickly and easily grasped too, but it takes time in a systematic fashion, I think, to fully understand that. So this is Paul and how he gives instruction. He reminds the Colossians of the truth of the gospel because it stands in contrast to the false, deceptive teachings the Colossians were beginning to encounter, the things um, that uh, a lot of these things Paul will address in chapter 2. So the gospel produced a fruit of spiritual character in Colossae and caused the growth of a new community of believers, just as it was doing in the entire world. So don't ever forget that it is the gospel that produces growth. The gospel produces growth. And the impact of the gospel in Colossae, the fruit that developed was a community known for faith, love, and hope. Right out of verse 5. Look at verse 5. We find this impact in all kinds of places in the New Testament. In in most of Paul's letters, you find it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Romans 5, 1, Galatians 5, 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, and 1, 5. So the gospel had propelled these people in Colossae 
to live in a completely new way. It popped them right out of their cultural way of living and motivated them to live differently in a new way. They had placed their hope in Jesus, resulting in lives lived out in faith, love, and hope. Let's talk about hope for a minute. Because as a result of hearing the gospel, the Colossians had placed their hope in Jesus, the hope of glory, verse 1, verse 27, 127, or chapter 1, verse 27, excuse me. And this hope is based on what is unseen in the future, eternal life. Resurrection, sharing the glory of God, receiving a new body, finding a permanent home that doesn't break down. This is the hope that we talk about in heaven. It is truth. It is not cross your fingers hope. I know you remember that because I kind of hammer that often. We're not just wishing this would happen. This is truth. Hope and truth are real. This hope is stored in heaven where nothing can touch it. Hope in the events and outcomes of the world is uncertain. Hope in heaven is true and certain. Why would we place our hope in things that are temporary and unpredictable? No matter how hard we try, we can't control terrorism. We can't control the economy. We can't control the spread of cancer. We cannot control the coronavirus. We can't control things. Hope in heaven is a sure and certain hope, and it produces faith and love, by the way. Any teaching that detracts from the future hope is false. It is counterfeit. Any philosophy that would tell you to get as much as you can from this world because there's nothing else after it, that's a lie. That is not truth. We encounter these philosophies in the world all the time. And if we're honest, we, we realize this is even the way we think sometimes. We live in a way as, as, as if we could take it with us. We live in a way that prepares for this world and not the future most of the time. We do. This is why when a believer passes away, when a believer in Jesus dies, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, of course, but we know the glory that they have entered into. It is, I, ha- I, I, I mean this with all my heart, it is the most, it is the coolest thing. When I get to believe, when I get to preach, when I get to speak at a funeral or memorial service of a believer in Jesus, where I know this person lived for Jesus, it is the coolest thing. I mean, I can bring it. It's a celebration and I can speak truth and I can declare truth, and I, I can bring it in an unapologetic, it, it is the least stressful thing I do. It is the most stressful thing I do when I have to give a message at a memorial service, at a funeral, where it's, it's in doubt, you know, because, man, you gotta be really delicate. Because when people are mourning, when people are grieving, they don't wanna know, they don't wanna focus on Hell. <laughs> we don't want to focus on hell. We want to get we want to get past that conversation as fast as we can. We don't want to refer to that. We don't want to think for a minute that this person's not in heaven. We don't want to do that, you know. So it becomes this delicate thing. I feel like a politician sometimes. 
It was really, really hard. I don't wish it on anybody. I do it gladly. You know how what I do? I focus on the promises of Jesus. I focus on the people in the audience and the way we are to live and the way we are to do, uh, to be. Right? Imagine that. Don't stress me out if you die. Okay. I gotta do your funeral. (laughs) I'll do it. I would rather stand up there and tell the truth, unapologetic. Does that make sense? Hey, let's talk about faith. Faith in Jesus. Jesus is not so much the object of faith. A lot of times we think that. Jesus is not so much the object of faith, but the habitat, the environment or sphere in which faith lives and acts. Think about that for a minute. These Colossian believers were in Adam at the very beginning, but now they've been incorporated into Jesus. We all came from Adam. I mean, God had a plan from the very beginning. That's the point of saying that, in Adam. But now we are in Jesus. If you're a believer a follower, and you've put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus and the gospel truth, and now you are in Jesus. So Paul referred to the Colossians as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 2, these brothers and sisters are living out their faith. They're living, believing lives under their, uh, their master, Jesus. Jesus Christ, when you say, Lord, Lord means master. When you pray to the Lord, you're praying to the master. He's your king. He's who you swear allegiance to. He owns you. That's why Paul can refer to Epaphras and himself as a fellow slave. Slave in Christ. They're not saying one thing and doing something else. Hope in eternal things produces faithful living faithful living because you have allegiance to the king because you have allegiance to the master you are faithfully living you're faithfully carrying out what he wants not what you want how about love we talk about love a lot there's lots of ways to talk about love it's actually a deeply complicated word despite what country music generally produces about it Country music probably does as good a job as anything. There's <laughs> so much more. Love for all the saints here. Love for all the saints. This, let's specifically talk about love for all the saints. Hope in eternal things also produces love. Paul says in Galatians, he says, for, Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision carries any weight. You know, all these traditions of men. He's saying all these traditions and things you do and methodology and what we used to do and sort of physical markers. He says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. Faith working through love. Love is the practical expression of care and concern that takes place in a community. That is church. We are a community. We like to break the bigger community down into smaller communities where you can be known and celebrated. That's why we call them community groups. Paul refers again and again to this love in verse 8. Love in the Spirit. Being in Christ means to be in the Spirit 
in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. We love in the Spirit, not in the flesh, not in our own self. We love in Christ. We love in the Spirit. This is the only place where the Spirit is mentioned in Colossians. The Colossians exhibit a practical, down-to-earth, hands-on love. That's what they did. Hands-on love. And this isn't expressed towards some. It's all-inclusive. Everybody, the easy to love and the, uh, and the unlovely. <laughs> the rich and the poor, the extroverts and the shy and awkward. Everybody. Love is the sign of maturity and growth. So Paul writes to Timothy, his guy, his protege, right? His guy that he, he wants to replace himself with. He says, the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. First Timothy 1.5. And later in chapter 3, Paul urges these Colossians, this church, he says, into all these virtues add love, which is the perfect bond Colossians 3.14, it binds everything together. Hope, faith, and love are the products or signs of the gospel. The evidence of the gospel, hope, faith, and love. Christ form authentic community of Christ followers. These aren't people that are just going to a place. These are Christ followers in community. And this is what marked the church at Colossae. And this is the spiritual fruit that people should see when they attend our church. They should see faith, hope, and love. Faith, love, and hope. Church is not a consumer product advertised to fulfill or to satisfy our earthly desires and our appetites. It's not a consumer product. It's not a thing to be used Church is a community of people who are placing their hope in heaven. In heaven, remember? It's truth. And in the meantime, church is displaying the fruit of living faith and active love. So in chapter 3, Paul's going to encourage us to do something. Keep thinking about things above. He says, not things on earth. Keep focused on things above, not things on earth. Colossians 3, 2. All right, let's move on to gratitude because Paul has another response to hearing about the hope of these people. Hey, I heard about you. They had a reputation. I heard some things, some really great things. Hope, faith, and love happening in Colossae. Epaphras described it when he comes to visit Paul in prison in Rome. So Paul prays for the church in Colossae frequently and consistently, probably daily, he's praying for these people. The city of Colossae was a city long past its prime and prominence. It's kind of like an old mining town in southern Arizona. When Epaphras shares with Paul all that was taking place in Colossae, Paul breaks out into thanksgiving to God. That's what he does. In verse 3, look at verse 3, saying, We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Even though he's in prison, Paul's doing this, he's grateful and he's thankful for what he hears because this is his passion. To raise up mature believers living in community. I love it when... I can identify mature believers living in community. You want to know why I love it? You know why I am truly thankful and grateful? You may not like it. I'll just give you the secret. Because I'm going to worry about you. 
and I, I really don't got to pay attention to you very much. And I can move on to everybody who's immature and not in community. The more people that are in community, the less people I got to worry about. Because when you're in community, we are fulfilling all the things that you're supposed to do because you know how to feed yourself. Because you're not just going to Vail Christian Church. You are Vail Christian Church. And I don't have to worry about whether or not you're a giver and trying to motivate you to understand that. I don't have I can actually give you people to be responsible for. I can push people your way and say, bring these folks into your, un, uh, under your wing. Care about these folks. Help these folks. Teach these folks. When people are living in community, then you got yourself a bunch of Epaphras kind of people. You can turn them loose. And, and, and so maybe you don't like that. I don't know. Maybe you're wondering if I worry about you or not. I don't know. And that's not me. That's the Lord kind of working in you. So Paul is a great model for being thankful in all things, no matter the circumstances in which we find ourselves or he finds himself. He's a great example. We are always concerned about our circumstances. But if you look at Paul, he expresses thanksgiving for every community he writes to except for the Galatians. He doesn't, he's not very, he, he doesn't say that. Eventually, and we, we've been through that letter and why he doesn't there probably. But we would do well to follow Paul's example. Gratitude is another sign of being formed in Jesus, formed in Christ. The opposite of gratitude is resentment. Resentment is cold and resent and, and repressed anger. Can you put up this quote from Henry Nouwen? I like Henry Nouwen. Listen to what he says. Resentment is the curse of the faithful, the virtuous, the obedient, and the hardworking. Resentment is the complaint that life does not unfold the way we planned. It replaces faith, hope, and charity with fear, doubt, and rivalry. It's very easy for us to be controlled and absorbed with resentment instead of gratitude. Resentment blocks action. Gratitude lets us move forward towards new possibilities. Resentment makes us cling to negative feelings. Gratitude allows us to let go. Resentment makes us prisoners of our passions. Gratitude helps us transcend our compulsions follow our vocation. Resentment exhausts us by complicating jealousies and ambiguities, stirring up de destructive desires for revenge. Gratitude takes our fatigue away and gives us a new vitality and a new enthusiasm. Resentment entangles us in endless distractions, pulling us down, preoccupying us, Gratitude anchors our deepest self beyond this world and allows us to be involved without losing ourselves. As long as we remain resentful about things that we wish had happened, as long as we have relationships that we wish we had turned out differently, or mistakes we wish we had not made, part of our heart remains isolated unable to produce fruit in the new life ahead of us. 
So spiritual formation is the way resentment can slowly be transformed into gratitude. How do we cultivate a grateful heart? Well, like hope, if our gratitude is based on blessings and circumstances of this life, kind of walk or dance, so to speak, a slippery slope. Grateful one day when things go the way we want them and complaining the next day when life disappoints. Gratitude comes from looking at eternal things with spiritual eyes, the eyes of Jesus, like Paul, who though he was in chains and and in prison, was overflowing with thanksgiving from God. And he was really thankful when he heard about these people. See, gratitude comes from knowing that God is present and working, from seeing faith and love worked out in our lives and in our community. And we are community. The root word in Greek for being thankful is the word charis. It means gift. It means grace. Gratitude comes from accepting life as a gift and believing that everything is grace. I was listening to someone get grace all messed up. They were talking about being faithful and how faithful produce all these abilities for for grace to unfold. Sounded pretty good. If you're just faithful at things, if you're faithful, then you create an environment where grace can unfold. Sounds almost, almost right, doesn't it? It's ridiculously wrong. It's theological mush. It's terrible. Grace, the mercy of God, makes it possible for us to be faithful at anything. It all begins and starts with and ends with grace. God's grace on us. Anything that's produced that is good and right, and, and if you have the ability to do anything, it is because of God's mercy, God's grace. That allows you to be faithful. Don't get it backwards. Real community centered in Christ produces fe- people filled with faith, produces people filled with love and hope. Gratitude comes from the Holy Spirit and it's possible only because we are redeemed, because we've been recycled and transformed, restored and forgiven saints. So what's this got to do with me? Here we go. You ready? Real community centered in Jesus produces people filled with faith, hope, and love. So want to get really down to it? Are you in community with the saints? Or is this just a place you go to? Are you in community with the saints and other believers? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but you need to reorganize your life if you're not, because this will only be a place that you go to, and you only get certain things, and it'll be disappointing and dissatisfying over time. We have to be in community, rolling up our sleeves together, and believe me, it is hard. That's why people don't do it, because it's hard, because you got to love people. You got to care about people, because it, you have to give up times, because you have to make room. There has to be margin and space for this to happen. And we don't have very much of that because we cram full of our lives all kinds of other things. But I'm telling you, we have to be in community. It's the way God has designed it. You cannot get around it. Are you filled with faith, love, and hope? If you're not, I'm gonna say it's because you're not in community. Gratitude comes through the Holy Spirit. That's the next one, right? And it's possible only because we are redeemed, restored, and forgiven saints. So are you full of gratitude? 
or, or are you filled with fear, doubt, and conflict? It could be summed up in one word, resentment. So the gospel had propelled these people in Colossae to live in a completely new way. They had placed their hope in Jesus, resulting in lives lived out in faith, love, and hope. This living in a completely new way of living can be your way of living as well. It can be yours. It's free. It's a gift. The Spirit of Christ can live in you. The Spirit of God can live in you. Christ can dwell right here, and you can become a growing, mature believer that isn't full of resentment, but is full of faith, love, and hope. Will you bow your head with me? That's what we want, Lord. And it's a powerful, contagious thing. That's who we're supposed to be. It's so contagious. This is the way you draw people to yourself. The way we live in community and love and care with each other. The way we faithfully follow you and we put all of this into action. Thank you, Lord God, for Veil Christian Church. Help us now to roll up our sleeves and find ways to connect, to contribute, and live in community, Lord. Your head's bowed before God. If this is not you, you don't have to feel weird or awkward. It's not. It, it, it will cost you. It, it, in, in a lot of ways, it is difficult, but it's so freeing, and it's so rewarding, because when you lean into the way God has designed things, it's magnificent. It's life-changing. And it's fully satisfying and it brings joy. If that's you today, you can surrender your life to Jesus. You can start today. Lord God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vale Christian Church Podcast. To read the quote by Henry Nowen that Pastor Ben referenced in this message, See our notes attached to this podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.